welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Jesus-centric part three, and I really should have called it Jesus-centric or COVID-centric because really I've been... uh, talking about some of the issues without really talking about the issues. Uh, So uh, the first part, um, really the theme of that whole thing was the early church was so diverse, but they kept their unity because they were truly Christ-centered. Centric simply means at the center. Jesus-centric or Christ-centric simply means at the center. Um, Part two was getting a little bit more nitty-gritty with uh, our situation here in New Zealand and looking at how the early church lived and how the early church was taught to behave and live in times of turbulence, in times of shaking. Honestly, 1 Peter could have been written about New Zealand yesterday uh, for our situation today in 1 Peter 2.17. This is Peter's Um, exhortation to the body of Christ, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and honour the emperor. And part three, I'm going to be looking at uh, distraction, the state of our hearts, what is our heart really meditate on and really what to do about it. So this, this message is probably going to be the last in this series. It's been a result of many conversations I've had with a lot of pastors and and a lot of church leaders over the last few weeks as we've gotten together and and we've discussed and talked and prayed about the situation and and what's happening in New Zealand, uh, what's happening in our churches. And and we're saying exactly the same thing. This is not just my opinion. Um, This is what pastors are coming up with um, almost unanimously the challenges that we're facing um, and what is really happening. The first one is we are being distracted as the body of Christ. We really are. Number two, we're seeing what is the state of our hearts alike because when there are times of shaking, what is in our hearts come out. And thirdly, and please don't be offended, we all agree there's a lot more rebellion in our churches than we actually thought there was. And uh, the last time I talked about rebellion was like 20 years ago in youth church. (laughs) So we're going to be looking at those today. So the first one, distraction. What does that mean? Distraction is a phenomenon in which a person tends to lose focus and gets deviated from the goal or objective. I want to say that again. Distraction is a phenomenon in which a person tends to lose focus and gets deviated from the goal or objective. What is our goal and objective as believers in Jesus? Go into all the world and make disciples of of all people everywhere. Teach them what Jesus has taught us. And then Jesus said, behold, old school English, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is our goal, to make disciples, to be a part of the disciple-making process. That's not just specific to to pastors and leaders, it's for all believers everywhere to go and make disciples, to be part of the disciple-making process. How are we doing in 2021? Or have we been distracted from the main mission for our reason for living? We get distracted 
all the time by things. Do you know over in the United States, eight people die every day uh, by car accidents because someone's been distracted? Uh, a couple of years ago, they did some studies in the UK um, about how insects affect driving. You know, when something flies into your car or you see a spider on the dashboard, uh, they reckon there were 650,000 accidents in one year because of insects distracting drivers. So when I was sort of researching this, I got into a bit of a wormhole, as you do sometimes when you're, you're writing sermons. You know, there was a great cicada invasion in the US um, just this June past. Um, there's a, a, a hatching of cicadas that happen every like 14 or 17 years. It's called Brood X, but it's so big that literally within a few days, there are billions upon billions of cicadas that hatch out of the ground all in the same time in parts of America, and people die because of it for this exact thing that I've been talking about, especially when they're driving. These cicadas fly into their cars. They get distracted, and they die. The great cicada invasion of 2021. You heard it first here at Renew Church. Could COVID-19, could the vaccination and unvaccination debate, could the mandates be the great spiritual cicada invasion for us in 2021? Could it be that we're just being distracted so much that some people are dying spiritually or at the very least going far off course? We are forgetting our plan and our purpose is to go and make disciples of Jesus, not to go and make disciples of our theories. Are we being distracted? A few years ago, back in the, the crazy youth church days, I, I dressed up as Satan. And I preached a sermon, if I was Satan. Now, if I was Satan, wouldn't this whole thing be a really intelligent plan to get Christians off task when you think about it? Acts 8, verses 1 to 4. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So Stephen had just been stoned. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So they would have had to have left their houses. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. You would agree that this is a great crisis that's happening to these believers. Uh, a lot of upheaval, a, a lot of potential distraction, a lot of turbulence, a lot of shaking. But what does the church do in verse four? But the believers who were scattered Preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Wouldn't it be awesome if despite what's going on in our day and age, in our world, we continue to preach the gospel of Jesus wherever we go and not get distracted? Revelation 2 verse 4 to 5. But I have this against you, says Jesus. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I think those are relevant things to, to think about. I remember um, there was a time a few years back 
It was when, as a church, we, we felt to really um, promote healing as a Pentecostal church, and there, were, there was a lot of crazy stuff happening, and um, I just got distracted with our main task, um, and one pastor said, Simon, it's just like a story I heard once, a man's um, on a horse, and he's going to his destination, and all of a sudden, there's a whole lot of swarm, he goes through a swarm, swarm of flies, it's like an in- insect sort of theme in the message today, um, and he gets so, so distracted by, because he wants to shoo away all the flies that he doesn't realize he goes off course. He forgets about the purpose of his, of his mission going to his destination. And he's all caught up and all his energy is used by, in swatting away the fly, flies. Let's not let's just keep using our energy with swatting away the flies. Let's keep on task. Let's be aware of distraction. Secondly, the state of our heart. In times of shaking, the state of our hearts are exposed. And I shared about this, was it a couple of weeks ago when I sort of presented the thought, you can have a barrel up here uh, and we would never see what's in the barrel. You guys wouldn't unless that barrel was shaken and what's on the inside comes out, then you can see what is on the inside. It's like a tree uh, that's in season with fruit. You shake that tree and the fruit falls and then all around that tree you can see what type of tree it is because of the fruit that's all around it. We are in a time of shaking when almost all of us are being shaken. What is on the inside is coming out. The fruit of our lives are falling all around us and people can really see the state of our hearts. And when we are under stress or extreme pressure, That is probably the best litmus test to show us how our heart is doing. What was Jesus like under extreme stress in Luke 22, verse 42? This is what he said just before he went to the cross. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's Jesus under extreme pressure. What about Stephen? Under extreme stress, Acts 7, 59 to 60. As Stephen was being stoned to death, He called out, Lord Jesus, please welcome me. He knelt down and shouted, Lord, don't blame them for what they have done. And then he died. Now, what if I was being stoned? I would use all my energy in trying to dodge all these big rocks that were being thrown at me. The last thing I probably would be thinking about is the people's hearts that are fleeing the stones. So that's Stephen under pressure. When we are placed under pressure, the real true us come out of our hearts. What about Peter under pressure? extreme stress. Mark 14, 7, 1, he was uh, in the inner circle of the disciples. When Jesus was arrested, when everything was turning to custard, he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you are talking about. So the state of Peter's heart came out and there is an amazing redemption story with Peter. He becomes one of the, one of the pillars of the early church. But under extreme stress, it came out of his heart. Paul and Silas under extreme stress. Acts 16, 25. Paul and Silas undaunted prayed in the middle of the night and sang songs of praise to God while all the other prisoners listened to their worship. They were beaten within like an inch of their life, thrown into the inner dungeons. And yet at midnight, they are worshiping God. They are praising Jesus. They are praying and everyone else is listening and being influenced by their faith. They were under extreme stress. 
What about me under extreme stress? What comes out of my life? What about you under extreme stress in times of shaking? What comes out of our hearts? And I'm, saying, I'm not saying this to condemn anyone, but it's actually worth having a look at our hearts because sometimes we just plainly don't understand or see some of the ugly things that are in our hearts unless we are shaken. And then those things come out. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. I love this. This is one of my favourite verses lately. Holding on to this. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity in times of pressure, in times of uh, stress and strain and shaking. Are we showing Jesus to the world? Are we displaying a changed heart because of the miracle that Jesus has done in our lives? Or are people seeing an ugly side of us that really shouldn't be there as believers? Though we experience every kind of pressure, other translations, although when we are hard pressed on every side, you know when some things are, are put under pressure and pressed, good things come out of them. Grapes must be crushed to make wine. Diamonds form under pressure. Olives are pressed or squeezed to release olive oil. What comes out of you when you're squeezed? <laughs> I'm so proud of my, my daughter, Shemaya. She's had such a tough year at school. She's done an art board with, with those that have done year 13 art. It's incredibly full on. And she's done a design board as well. So most nights, Shemaya has been working after school to late almost most nights this year. And there, there are times where we thought, how is she going to handle the stress? You know, she's come through that. And she's a much more mature person. God has done an amazing thing in her life because of what was in her heart already. So what are we like when we are under pressure? David's prayer in Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Who remembers Boney M? By the rivers of Babylon. Let me see your hands. All the old people. And I remember as a four-year-old, we were like, our family were crazy about Abba and we were crazy about Boney M. Uh, so as you do, you start looking up old YouTube clips of Boney M. Man, that's, that's a weird time, eh? The, the, the late 70s was just a strange time. Uh, but I love that verse, and I've always remembered it. Let the words under pressure, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In this time of shaking with the pressure and the stress, and I'm not just talking about all the, the pressures with COVID, because many of us, if you're human, you're going to have pressures in your life. Can we pray that prayer like David prayed? May the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. What's our speech like? What are we saying during this time? And um, Chris's message 
Last week was absolutely amazing about words. Please listen to it if you haven't already. No, we truly do create worlds with our words. And God said, it's like that the first time we see speech being used in the Bible, it's not in the context of communication, it's in the context of creation. Our words create. How is our speech during this time? How has our speech been towards the government in this time that we are called to honor? How has our speech been to, towards people that don't agree with us during this time? If we only had that, that heart like David, God, may what I say be acceptable to you. And then he says, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Now, our heart, what is it really like in times of shaking? How do we really feel about others when, when, when things are happening and it's beyond our control? What is on the inside again? What is the meditations of our heart like? And uh, like I said at the start, perhaps there's a lot more rebellion in our hearts than we would like to admit. And before I go any further, I just want to say, please hear me. I'm not specifically roasting those that are unvaccinated about this because what is our heart attitude uh, towards all authority in our lives, whether it be our parents or our teachers or our civil leaders, what is our heart meditation? What is our heart like when our authorities cross our will? And, and how do we respond? Like I said a couple of weeks ago, you can absolutely disagree with authority and still honour them. But how's the state of our heart when our will is crossed, when everything's going great in church and when life is great and, and when everything's going the way we like to, it's easy to, to act like we love our authority, but our heart and the state of our heart is shown when our authorities do something that upset us. And again, you, we are absolutely free to disagree, but it's how our heart meditates and, and, the, and, and what is in our heart when that happens actually is very illuminating um, in our lives. So with that in mind, and we'll look at the government again. Let's have a look at uh, what I shared last week, 1 Peter 2.17. It says, honor the emperor. That was Nero in 1 Timothy 2.2. It says, pray for your kings and, and all those in authority. And I was really too scared to talk about Romans 13 then uh, because Romans 13, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a verse that sort of, you know, people either love it or hate it, but I'm just gonna go for it. You guys know my heart tonight today. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. I'm gonna try and, and sort of give my, uh, my perspective on this, which is number one, everything Paul wrote would have been vetted by the authorities. And that's something we never think about. It's not like he wrote letters and he just bypassed the prisoners and the authorities that were keeping him in prison. They would have read everything he, he penned because they were afraid at those times that the Christians were um, encouraging people to, to, to rise up in rebellion against the Romans. So they would have read this 
letter, I think first of all, Paul is saying um, inadvertently to the authorities, look, Christians aren't anarchists. We, we do uh, in, in a roundabout way. We, we're called to honour the authorities God has placed in our lives. We are basically law-abiding citizens and we believe that these people, um, God has, has either placed them there or has allowed them to be in, in place of authority in our lives. Secondly, I think he wants to say to Christians, don't get your back up so easily because being wronged by a government sends nobody to hell, but being rebellious and angry and bitter and spiteful does send people to hell. And so it is a much greater evil for you to be rebellious than of the government to mistreat you. That's not a perspective that many people have thought about. It is a much greater evil for you to be rebellious than the government to mistreat you. Okay, what happens when a government crosses the line? Is there a place for civil disobedience? I would say yes. And if you wanna know if we've crossed a line yet in New Zealand, you can listen to my sermon a couple of weeks ago, just my honest opinion. But what do we do as believers? Is there a place for protest? I believe there is, and I've been doing a lot of reading about Martin Luther King Jr. recently, a pastor who stood up and disobeyed civil authorities, but he was so passionate to do it in a nonviolent way. He actually wrote some principles that he did not and would not cross in his protesting. Principle one, this is Martin Luther King Jr. Nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. And principle two, nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. The end result is redemption and reconciliation. Redemption and reconciliation. I love that. And, and reading some of the stories, there was one time when Martin Luther King Jr., he was campaigning this real angry guy that was opposed to what he was saying, saying quite a racist dude came up and started punching him. And then his bodyguards came and started punching this racist dude. What did Martin Luther King Jr. do? He stood in defense of the guy that was being beaten up because his heart was always for reconciliation. You might be saying, well, Simon, we're not violently protesting. Maybe not, but is there violence in our hearts towards the government authorities at this time? What is the meditation of our hearts? Is there some rebellion in us, even as believers, that we may not have realized that was there until now? 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Um, other translations say rebellion is as witchcraft, which means rebellion is the same as witchcraft. We gotta be careful in our rebellion because rebellion attracts the demonic. There's a book I've got upstairs in my office that says witchcraft in the church. <laughs> you can borrow it if you want. <laughs> Stimulating reading. Alistair Crowley, the father of modern day Satanism, he was made famous for his axiom, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Do what thou wilt. Do what you want to is the whole law of Satanism. You don't even have to worship Satan to be a Satanist. Just have yourself and place yourself as the highest authority in your life 
And that's really what it takes to be a Satanist. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. What did Jesus say? Not my will, Father, but your will be done in my life. According to Alistair Crowley, could there be Satanists in, in churches? All right, moving right along. Do you guys still love me? <laughs> Surrender, which is the last point. <laughs> and I remember a time in my life, now I'd been going to church most of my life, but there was a time where I really rededicated my life to God. And, and I, was, I was really battling for a while because I'd been reading these scriptures and I understood that there was really no middle ground when you give your life to Jesus. It is all or nothing, because Jesus wanted every part of me. And so for a while there, I had to weigh up the cost of, of God, do you really want me to follow you if it's half-hearted? Because I know you want my whole life. And I struggled for a while with this. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves the self part of our lives and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross. And this was before Jesus went to the cross. Crucifixion was everywhere. Everyone knew that if someone was taking up their cross, their life was lost. Everyone knew that the cross was not, didn't represent like a, a, a holstered lazy boy comfortable thing. It was an old rugged cross and we're being called by Jesus to take up our cross, to deny some things in our life and to give our lives wholeheartedly to Jesus. Some people say, well, you know, uh, my sickness is the cross that I have to bear. No, it's not because you don't will, uh, voluntarily choose to take up sickness. A cross is something we willfully choose to take up. And Jesus is calling us to take up the cross of self-denial. When was the last time we heard a sermon about self-denial? Have I ever heard a sermon about self-denial? In the church that I grew up in, we had like self-denial weeks and months where it's like all we ever talked about was, and I know this thing can be taken out of context, but in our following of Jesus with our whole lives, there are some things that we want that we choose not to because we want to follow Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, it's true surrender. And we think this is like a crazy doctrine. This is like full on. Could it be that this is just a normal life of what Jesus intended for every believer? And lastly, this is my last, um, last verse. And if someone could jump up on the keyboard, that would be awesome. Psalm 51.7. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. This is David, and David knew what it was like to be broken. Now he'd been through some ups and downs, and done a whole lot of things he was not proud of. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant 
heart, O God. What does that mean by a broken spirit? Because does Jesus want us to be like an absolute groveling mess all of our lives and just go completely to pieces? I don't think it is talking about that. I think it's in the context of, and this is my opinion, when you understand it by way of the illustration of a horse being broken and a wild horse being broken in. And, and again, those things that you start researching. I've, I've been on a horse a few times in my life, but I don't have a clue how they're, they're broken in. You take a wild horse, and it takes weeks and sometimes months to get that horse to trust his master. Um, and, and the master never punishes and is never harsh. And Sometimes there is discipline involved, but it takes a long time of, of getting to know the master, of the master getting to know the horse, the horse learning to trust the master that the master is loving. And eventually, um, once that trust is established, the master puts uh, the saddle on the horse and then you, uh, the horse is, starts to be accustomed to, to some restrictions and, and, and the weight of that saddle and, and the bridle and over time, the master comes and sits on the horse and the horse learns that he has a purpose. His purpose is to carry the master and to do the master's will in life. So that wild horse before it's broken in, it's a beautiful horse, but it's never gonna be useful in the hands of the master until it's broken in. And I think in the light of that, this is what this verse is saying. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit when we come before God and we say, God, there's not much of me to offer. I'm a mess, there's a whole lot of issues, but I give my life wholeheartedly to you. You're calling me to take up the cross and I'm gonna take up the cross for the cause. I want you to be my master, Jesus, because I've been the master of my life too long and I've absolutely wrecked that. And then we learn the process of trusting Him. And we learn that His yoke is easy, that the burden He calls us to carry is light. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.